Welcome to City on a Hill's podcast. This week's podcast can be downloaded on iTunes or our media library at chccny.com. Good morning, City on a Hill. Uh, um, what would you think of those testimonies, huh? Aren't they awesome? They really were. They really were. And you know that our brothers spoke from their hearts, and uh, it's inspirational. Well, I just wonder how many people in this community, in this church, here, are ready to get out of the, step out of the box and do some things a little differently in church. Anybody here ready to do such a thing? Yeah, we have four. I have one, two, three, four people already, and a few more back there. Okay, good. Um, yeah, we're looking to do things maybe uh, a little bit more interactive in, in some days, and um, we'd like your feedback, and we'd also like your mercy this morning, because this is our first time out of the box, and we need you to be with us. So, amens, loud amens are great. Oh, love it, love it. And uh, we're so, we really are uh, excited about this morning. We really do have a sense, those of us that have um, been seeking the Lord for the responsibility this time, we have a sense that God is really with us and that God really wants to speak to each and every one of us, um, and not only individually, but as families and as the family of God here this morning. But um, how, many, how many of you are households with children that going off to school this week? Yeah, yeah. And you still made it to church this morning? Very impressive. Very impressive. How many of you had total chaos this week in your house, getting your kid? All right. Things are normal there. Um, okay, well, we didn't tell them, but, you know, we wanted to kind of get inside to one of the f- church families and just take a sneak peek on what it was like the first day of school for them. They didn't know we were doing this, but we had it filmed from the window of their house. And uh, we'd like you to see, this was the RK home on the first day of school. Uh, we, we photographed the RKs. So l- let's just see this. Let's just see this video. Get him! 
in his cage now. Is everything broken? I love it. I love it. I love it. Can totally relate to that mother in the corner. She's afraid to look. Her, is everything broken? Um, funniest clip. Funniest clip. Well, it is true. Certainly getting kids off to school and starting a new school year is taxing on the strongest among us. But there's a whole lot more to be stressed about in our culture and in the day we're living. I think you'd all agree. If you turned on the TV this morning and picked up your newspaper, you certainly would, I'm sure, agree with that. Um, we, we've got so much going on everywhere we turn, and it does seem like stress, stress levels and the influence of um, you know, technology. Um, my phone is ready to be turned in, and now I hear about this, you know, the, the six now, the Apple six, and now I got think about, now I have to start changing my brain all over again to now get up to all the new changes in the Apple six, and I'm, I'm really mentally still at an Apple three. Uh, but at least my grandchildren come in every once in a while and they say, oh, Grammy, we did you a fa I, I did you a favor, really? What did you do? I upgraded your phone. And I'm gonna shoot myself, because I'm still, <laughs> mentally, I'm, I'm still a three. But um, I, I do think, as uh, again, this morning, this is going to be somewhat, we're certainly gonna be talking to parents this morning. And we believe God wants to talk to, to us as parents this morning. But this is for all of us. We're gonna be talking about the culture we live in, and it's bigger than being a parent, and, and, and bigger than um, just about, it, it's, the, it's the topic really that uh, the Bible is talking about in so many different ways. And so what does the Bible have to say to us as a church this week, as we pick up the newspaper, as we, as we attempt to navigate our lives through this extremely uh, difficult and stressful time. What did I do with my... James shocked me this morning. Um, we're going to be talking about a number of topics. I'm going to give you a little bit of an overview, but James shocked me this morning and sent me um, a text that reads like this from the New York Times. 40% of kids in high-achieving high schools are taking amphetamines in an effort to stay focused and to raise grades and their SAT scores. This is the world that we are in and our children are in. And this is the world that the Church of Jesus Christ has to have answers. Uh, where do we go? Well, uh, let's just start for a minute. As you can see, the title is Raising Kids in Our Present Culture. What does culture mean? You hear it all the time. You hear it, what's the business culture in that office? You know, culture is just something that we use. Uh, it's a very familiar word to us. Let's just take a look at, uh, this is just a, a simple definition from Webster. Culture is the beliefs, customs, arts, etc., of a particular society, group, a place or time, a particular society that has its own beliefs and its own ways of life. It's just the way you do things in a culture. 
It's then, and this company differs from this company because in this company our culture is much more, you know, uh, collaborative than another culture. I mean, it, it's just the way you do things. Well, so we use this word all the time, we're hearing it all the time, and we're talking about the culture of the day we live in. And uh, we're looking at, that's what a culture is, just the way you do things. What is the Bible, what's the biblical um, response to this? What does the Bible think about the word culture? Well, let me just help you with something a second that, that changed my life. When I read these, when I read the next, um, we're going to pull up the slide on Cosmos, please, Rachel. When I started to understand this, uh, it literally changed my life. I should find them because it's a little hard for me to read. Let me read it this way. Okay. It really did change my life. This is from, um, well, let's say this. Well, I got this from a book by Watchman Nee called Love Not the World. And I think I should read it just about every year because at least every year. It, it really totally gave me a window into the Bible I had never seen before. Uh, a window into the battle um, that I've never quite saw as clearly. Uh, I totally and completely recommend to any serious believer, Love Not the World by Watchman Nee. And one of the things that uh, our brother lays out in, this, in his book, uh, of course the word world in the Greek is cosmos. And so he lays out the fact that cosmos is used in three different ways in the scriptures. Number one, the literal earth. God made the world and all the things in it, world. Number two, it's talking about all the people of the earth. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. But there's another way that this word is used, and it's the way that we're really going to be underlining and we're going to be addressing this morning. And that is, um, this is what Watchman E says, it's the worldly affairs, the whole cycle, circle of worldly goods, endowments, riches, advantages, pleasures, which though hollow and fleeting, stir our desires and seduce us from God. You can go to the next one, right? They seduce us from God. We'll go to the next slide. Um, this is a popular verse. What would it profit a man if he gains the whole cosmos, loses his own soul? We know the verse where our enemies are the world, the flesh, and the devil. We know that there's a, well, he goes on to say there's a mind behind this system. We know about the prince of this world or the world rulers. He goes on to say there is then an ordered system which is governed from behind the scenes, be it politics, education, the arts, science. And behind the scenes is a ruler by the name of Satan. Now, when I first read that, I thought, is, it, he's got to be kidding. What do you mean Satan is behind all of these, all of these things? Are they not, aren't that good things? What would we be without science and, and medicine? Well, what he lays out in this book is, there is a war. And in this war, there are, two, there are two powers that are vying for the rulership of this. You see, before the fall of man, it was called the earth. After the fall of man, it's now called the world. It's a system that has behind it uh, the prince of this world who wants to eventually build this the world to such a place that it's ready for the Antichrist when he's ready to step on the scene and to then declare his lordship and rulership over the earth. 
Hmm, amazing, isn't it? So what, are we, so what am I saying? There's Satan behind medicine? Well, remember that the tree in the garden was not the tree of the knowledge of evil. What was it? It was the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And thank God for all the good that science has brought and education brings us. But remember this part. If you don't remember anything else about the world, remember this. What Watch Renee points out is that behind everything, there is a power to seduce you. What does it say about money? We need money. It's not wrong to have money. It's not sinful to have money. But remember that there's a power behind it that wants to seduce you and take you away from God. So if there's one thing about the world, the system of the world, that has Satan behind it, it is a sub, it is, it is a, it's in the unseen, intangible, but just as real, let me have that Weiss translation, please, Rachel, power that is out to seduce everyone away from God. Now, this also changed my life. This is from the Weiss translation, a Greek translation, um, and this is Romans 12, part of uh, Romans 12, 1 and 2. I should, I, I should tell you exactly what it is. I don't have it at my fingertips fingertips, but he's defining the word world here, and listen to how he defines it. All that floating mass of thoughts, opinions, maxims, speculations, hopes, impulses, aims, aspirations, at any time current in the world, which it may be impossible to seize and accurately define, but which constitute a most real and effective power being the moral or immoral atmosphere which at every moment of our lives we inhale again, inevitably, to exhale. What is he saying? He's saying that you can't touch it. But he's saying there is a literal atmosphere that surrounds us, that literally affects us. It's a power that is affecting your thoughts and my thoughts. You know, I, I'm probably moments I'm going to have, I'm going to be in and out pastoring you as we're talking with this panel this morning. But honest, if I were honest with you as a pastor who talks to many people over many years and let's say particularly marriage problems, do you know sometimes somebody will start to say something and I can finish their sentence? I can tell them already the reason why this marriage, why they're going to tell me this marriage is over. I'm not in any way saying you know, there's never reasons for having marital problems or let's not get there. That's not the point. My point is this. I can give them word for word what they've heard because I know that they think that this is them thinking. And in reality, they've heard it. And the point is this. They don't know they're listening to another voice. And that is that is, that is the absolute danger, the subliminal effect it has. Somebody put it this way. You're thinking like the world when you're not thinking. That's why the Bible calls us sheep. Sheep. And that's why, and you're going to hear us say this a lot this morning, that's why you and I so desperately need each other.
because you and I think unless we have people to try things on that we trust, unless we have this as a background and a foundation for our lives, we're no match. Do you think in any way that you are a match? Brothers and sisters, did we, did you, if you turned on the news this morning, did you hear the Prime Minister, uh, uh, the British Prime Minister, get up and say, well, after they just had someone, you know, tragically and hor horribly murdered again. I don't need to go into details. He said, we cannot put our head in the sand. We cannot put our head in the sand. We've been hearing the politicians and the pundits talking these last weeks saying, do we have a strategy? Some people saying, well, we don't have a strategy. Do we need a strategy? Well, you know what? Somebody, the enemy has a strategy. Some people say, well, you know what? I don't want to use the word war. Really? Because I don't care what you call it. How many know we are in a war, America? And we can put our head in the sand all we want. But it, we have got to wake up. Some of us feel that this is a wake-up call to City on a Hill this morning, particularly families, parents, marriages, your own walk with God. There is a war, and you've been targeted. There is a war, and your children have been targeted. And I want to tell us this morning, we're going to hear it many times, over and over again, if, when the day is over and you stand before the Lord, it won't be what college your kid went to, it won't be what labels they wore, it won't be how handsome they are, it won't be any of those things. It will be, are they devoted followers of Jesus Christ? Have you built character into those kids? The character of Christ. The, made it, have you made it a foundation for their lives so that they can withstand the song we sang this morning? That foundation that can withstand any storm we're in? We are in a storm. You are in a storm. Whether you know it or not, maybe you raised your kids, you've got grandchildren. They are in a storm. Your grandchildren and your children are in a storm they don't even know about. And if we don't have intercessors, if we don't have a community, if we don't have times like we're going to be talking this morning, then I want to tell you something. It's like taking our children and bringing them to the altar of the enemy and saying, have at it. Because your children, God, I'll tell you, the devil wants your children more than he wants you. Amen. So that's just me. To, I'm just here to set the table this morning. So, um, but I don't want to. I want to keep going. But you know me. I have to stop. I'll have to stop. Okay. This morning we have a panel. And um, we've asked them to come on up. Uh, Elaine, I'm going to ask you to come first. We've asked Elaine to um, come on up and be a part of this panel. Uh, Elaine comes with, um, I had your credentials all here somewhere, Elaine, and I don't even know where they are now. Elaine is the chairman of the board of her, her own school, uh, Rainier Country Day School. Um, and uh, it is from pre-K to six. Uh, and then she is also vice chairperson of Stony Brook School, uh, which is from 7 through 12. Am I right? I got that right. Okay. So, Elaine comes with some criticism. She certainly, and she has the wife of uh, John and the mother of Johnny. So, she comes with, and the mother, a stepmother of three grown children. And uh, so, Elaine has some experience with young people and raising young people. Um, so, also, Jamal, I want you to come up. Jamal, where are you? We've asked Jamal to be part of the panel. Jamal, how many years are you teaching? Ten. 
Yeah. And uh, uh, we also have um, John and Jen. Would you come up as well? They're going to be on the panel. Now, the first thing everybody said to me when I asked them, and I'll tell you why I asked them in particular. Is it girls against the boys here? Yeah, looks that way. Looks that way. Um, everybody said to me, I'm not getting up on that panel. With my kids? What, are you crazy? And we were like, listen, we're not here. So James and I had to sit them down and say, listen, we preach over our heads all the time as preachers. You're not up there because you got it all done in your life. You preach it because it's the truth. And so we all come to you very humbly uh, telling you that we the, we're the last people that have all the answers. But we believe that there needs to be a discussion begun in this church, in our lives, in the hill houses, as our brother so um, wonderfully put it, where we can discuss these things and find out how very much alike we are to each other, how very much our struggles are the same with one another. So, um, well, listen, uh, this all started, this is one way that this started. Let me just give you a little background. Um, uh, these folks up here were in an email that they kind of like passed through my, over, you know, on my desk, and I was listening to them talk to each other, and they were talking about an article that Keith Depp sent over to them. I believe it's from New York Times. Is, is the article from New York Times? It was a New York Times article, and um, they were all very, uh, it, you know, it, it do was... do this a lot. They do that a lot. Yeah, they do a lot of <laughs> these emails, the, the family thing. Yeah, family thing. So, um, and I'm just an onlooker, and every once in a while I think, whoa, wow. Um, but I thought God arrested me and said, this needs to be bigger than just a few people on an email. These are extremely serious times that we're living in. So, Jen, you were the first one really to tell me about it. So why don't you just, um, why don't you just tell us what impressed you so much about this article that kind of really got your eye? You were pretty um, yeah. on fire for it immediately. The um, title of the article is Team Sports Taking Over Your Your Kids' Lives. And so that just really struck me. Um, it's a burden I have. It's a place where I live and um, kind of grapple with and try to struggle with that and see it happening, um, see the pressure. I see it all around me. And so it just came out of burden. So we were all reading it and kind of my cousins and brothers Keith, all just going back and forth passionately, everybody's opinion. And, and based on the age of your children, the insight was, was very different based on your experience. And so um, do you ever read, do you ever have like a feeling about something? And then you read an author who articulates much better than you how, you know, so well what you're feeling. And so that's how I felt. When I read it, I'm like, exactly. This is how I've been feeling for years now, since my kids are older now. I'm kind of on the out, getting out of that, like um, the sports that start from a very young age in the youth leagues and all. And so um, it's been a struggle that I enjoy the dialogue with other parents because I'm trying to figure it out myself too. And so that's basically um, how it began. I, I forgot to introduce you. I'm sorry. How many years have you been teaching high school? 18, 18 years. You've been a high school teacher and you have married to a handsome man back there, and you have two uh, children. Uh, everybody, I think most people know who they are. John, I forgot to introduce you. Sorry about that, not a problem. Uh, John is an attorney working in the field of insurance, and he's the fa he and Laura, the father of three beautiful girls. We have one of them being sick today. And one sick, and Laura's home. 
So uh, I just want you to, I'm sorry, I didn't introduce you. Uh, I'll tell you what, before I let you, I'm going to have you comment in a second, John, on that. I'm going to pull up that Henry Cloud, um, please, that uh, uh, video, please, Rachel. Uh, but I just want to give you an overview, a quick, of some of the things that we're hoping to kind of just scan over. Um, well, Jen, it talks a lot about priorities, obviously, in this article. Right. And, and, and for so many people, sports is such a priority. So we're going to be talking a little bit about priorities. Who's setting our priorities, right? Um, uh, once I set my, pro my priorities, how do I get there? You know, we can have the best. Um, somebody said today when there was a speech, I think there was the president's speech. Oh, he's getting ready to make a speech, I'm sorry. And they said, well, you know, what we want is not just, you know, words. We need to know actions. And I, I kind of so relate to that, don't you? It's easy for me to mentally assent to something. But once I try to put it into action in my life, you know, that's where the rubber hits the road, right? And what we all need to do is be, you know, cognizant that we can have a big gap in our life between what we mentally assent to and what's really worked out in our lives. So um, we want to just touch that a little bit. We want to talk about tech, you know, tech uh, boundaries perhaps for children. Listen, you parents today, you're the first generation of parents that ever had to deal with this. You are in such a unique place. We're going to find out all the things you did wrong in 20 years, right? Say, thanks a lot, you know? Who's telling you what to do? Well, you're all grappling together. I hear, my, I hear you. I hear you, you know, together talking. And, and you're looking to us, the grandparents, for some help. And honestly, in so many ways, we can't help you. You know, TV was the big, you know, thing we had to limit when our kids were growing up. But um, it was nothing compared to the war that you're in tech with technology. Um, so we want to talk about that. We want to talk about the biblical role. Uh, what's the biblical role of, of parenting versus the cultural pull? Um, and uh, we want to talk about what a challenge it is today. John, um, so jump in because you, you uh, had a lot to say and everybody thought what you had to say was meaningful. But before I even let you go there, will you just talk a little bit to the, to the issue of the cultural pull? Uh, yeah, well, which was where I was when I read this. So uh, some of you guys uh, out there, if you get the emails from the church, you, you got the article, the same article we're talking about. If you didn't, it's out there. You can go get it. Um, and, and like Jen was kind of alluding to originally, you know, that the, the extracurricular activities, um, it's something we all battle if you have kids. Uh, but, you know, when I was reading the article, I was kind of seeing it at a higher level, you know, about the culture and just that pull. Because if anybody's a sports, I mean, anybody knows me, I'm, I'm, I'm way into sports. And, um, way, yeah. way, and, way. And, 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 and people that know me have heard me say, you know, I thank God for the sports that I've been involved, team sports, mostly team sports for me. But I always felt like a lot of that built my character, helped me build character, helped me build, you know, overcome obstacles. And, and, and that was really important. But I think sometimes, like when we read this article, we need to look past the, the initial question, and we need to look past the symptoms sometimes because there's deeper things going on, and I think that's where we're talking about the culture. Yes. So as we were talking, as I emailed our group, as we were sharing things, these were some of the questions that I was kind of throwing out to us as a group. Um, and, and think about these as we're talking this morning. Um, you know, what are the things in our lives, whether you're young or old, and if you have kids or no kids, this, this still applies to you, that are demanding your time and attention and are we weighing the costs of those choices during our daily mundane lives? Think about that, you know, because um, one of the things that I hit on when I was looking at this article was um, 
I firmly believe everything we do is a choice. You know, every, wherever you go, whatever you do, you make a choice. And, you know, you choose to have a grande or a venti, you know, at the Starbucks. I mean, we, we make choices. But everything has a consequence, right, to those choices. And so one of the themes that I just really felt burdened about was with our kids, you know, the choices that we're making, um, which, again, on the surface are not bad. Sports are not bad, you know, um, working extra hours to get a promotion to support your family, good things, all good things, but they come at a cost. And I think that what we need to, since we're focused a lot on parents today, not just parents, don't check out on us today if you don't have kids or something, because this message is for everybody. But what are the costs? You know, the Bible talks about in Luke that, you know, you wouldn't be, you'd be a foolish builder to go to build a tower and not count the cost ahead of time and run out of the money you need or the supplies, and then you'd be a fool. They, you'd be laughed at. So um, that's kind of where we're coming with this today. That's one of the questions I want you to think about. You know, as you, as you think about the choices that we make in our lives, are we really investing in our kids or are we just, you know, one thing I've heard before is, you know, hope is not a strategy. And, and so you, you can't hope your kids are going to just one day turn out well but not invest anything in them at any, with no cost. Um, the last thing I'll just leave you with, and then we can jump into the video. Um, two things. I mean, again, you know, we've all probably heard the verses, but, you know, in James, the Bible talks about our life being a vapor, like a mist, and it's here and then it's gone. And, and I think part of this whole strategy we're going to talk about today is just the devil wants to lull us to sleep. And, and, you know, if he can buy time, then our life ends and we didn't have an impact. And, and I always feel like kids are, you know, if you have kids, that's your first role of impact. I mean, they're with you most of the time. They grow up with you. You have a huge opportunity to impact them. The last thing I just want to leave you with was something that reading this week as we were talking about doing this panel. And, and to be honest, we're really excited about this. You know, give us grace today, but we, we hope that this is just something that ministers to you. And we want you guys to be interactive with us. Um, but one of the things for, from preparing for this, you know, I read a verse in Colossians that just blew me away because it was so on point about this cultural issue. And I'm going to read it to you. And if, if you might want to write, if you're taking notes, write this verse down because I want you to go back and look at it. It's Colossians 2.8. And, and Paul is talking to the, the church of Colossia. And, and there's issues going on in that period, but they're very similar to today when you listen to this verse. Um, Colossians 2.8, let me just read it to you. It says, um, see to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophies, which depends on human tradition and the basic principles of this world rather than on Christ. And when I just sit in that verse for a minute and the things that we're talking about and what you talked about with the world and the pull of extracurricular activities and the culture that we live in, man, we are really up against it. And, and I think we're going to, I'm not going to go ahead of ourselves, but talking about solutions and how do we do, what do we do as Christians? Why are, how are we different? What do we do differently? Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. There's a number of things. And before I'm going to ask you for any comments you have, just feel free to shout out. I forgot to say Leslie. You have three beautiful boys. Where's Leslie? There she is. There she is. The other five. The other one. Um, okay, well, we're going to listen to quickly um, a little video by Henry Cloud. And you, if you've been around this place for any amount of time, you know that Henry Cloud and John Townsend are a resource that we... Um, we absolutely uh, take much, made much use out of. Uh, I worked for them for a very short period of time as a curriculum co coordinator to go to other churches and bring some of their material because 
because of um, I felt so so much for their material. Um, they're psychologists, and they have they have theology degrees and they have psychology degrees. Joe and I went to a conference with them a couple of years ago. Talked to them personally. You would absolutely love them. Let's hear what Henry has to say. The question to Henry was. Um, uh, basically, uh, what do I do if with the overscheduling for my children, the, the, all the activities, uh, extracurricular activities that they're being pulled to? And so uh, let, let's hear what Henry has to say about that. We heard what the world said in the article. Let's, let's hear what, what a Christian has to say about that. That's a really good question. You know, I, I see a lot of kids out there that are so overscheduled. It's like we're, you know, as a society, kind of teaching kids to take the rat race to younger and younger rats. And if you think about the way that, you know, adults deal with this problem, they don't deal with it very well. Everybody's trying to escape it. Everybody's trying to cut back. Everybody's trying to find time for what's vital. And so I think the answer to the question would be it's overscheduled and they're overactive or have too many activities to the point to where those things aren't an expression of life or an expression of the vital aspects of who they are but they're actually getting in the way of life or in getting in the way of the vital aspects of who they are. For example, you know, deep relationship and community is very, very important throughout life. Some kids are so over-involved in all their activities, they don't have time just to hang and just to be with the family or just to be with friends with no agenda, okay, or to, to find out what their interests and talents are, what it is they like. And just to, to, to grow as people and learn some hobbies that aren't curriculized, you know? Wouldn't it be nice to, to just, you know, grow the garden or do something for fun that didn't have a score and a trophy at the end of it? So I think it's important to have a balance. And what you do is you put the big, sort of like you put the big rocks in the jar first before you pour the sand in and then you can get it all in. And what people do is they put the sand in and all these activities in, then the big rocks don't have room to get in the jar anymore. And the big rocks are family and community and have time for study and have time for fun and have time for friends and to be healthy and have time to develop these extracurricular interests, which are a part of what's vital. See, they're not extra vital, they're extracurricula, which means that they are in addition to the set curriculum of the school, probably where that term came from, that there's set curricula and then there's things that are extra to that because those tend to be optional. You know, you can pick and choose from those. And I think that those should have a direct line to what the kid's good at. Now, in the beginning, I think they try a bunch of stuff, but then they're, they're drawn towards the things that they're gifted to. So the other thing is, it's a problem when there's performance pressures and the only reason they're in it is to be cool, you know, or to not feel like an idiot or something. You need to find something that matters to the child where they're doing it out of passion and not out of negative motivation. Yeah. Yeah. Um, we'll give you some information about a website that you can tap that, that's amazing with a number of these videos for all kinds of questions as parents. But I want to open the mic now for, for the four of you to... Um, I'll throw out a question, but you feel free to move it any way you want. But I'm just wondering, what is the world telling us the big rocks should be? They, if you remember, I remember James bringing this uh, as well, the illustration of the, the big bowl. And uh, you put all the sand in, and then you try to get the rocks in, and you can't get the big rocks in. 
but you've got to put the most important things. The biggest rocks have to go in first, and then you can put the sand in. And so what, let's think for a minute. What is the world telling us as parents, or you and, and even in our own life, as John said, this is all applicable to us as, you know, as adults navigating our way through this culture. What, what, do, you, what do we think the, the big rocks are? What is our culture? What is the world, the cosmos, telling us today, 2014 on Long Island, New York? What, what are the big rocks? I would say just first that sports is just one of different things if your kids aren't interested in sports. And just to back up with what you were saying earlier, a quote that I took from a Rainer Country Day School teacher that um, athletics, academics, and arts are really important in a kid's life. So we do say what he said, the balance of them all. My, my children have no choice, but they will play a sport and they will be involved in arts because I do think it's that important, but it's the balance act. And I do think one particular thing, which is that article that parents feel is the sports is an enormous rock. And if you haven't lived through it, most families aren't eating at home in a night because their kids are playing on more than one team, sometimes more than one sport in the same season. And so a lot of times they're doing homework in the car, they're eating on the fly, or you know, eating in the car, they're not eating together as a family, and it's just deteriorating our, our family, our central family focus as a society. And so to me, if you ask me, I think our culture is telling us sports is a huge rock. It's pretty much to me, sports and, acade and academics. And certainly both being important, the academics, the kids are like, they're stressed out beyond belief because they're even feeling that, that type of pressure too. So um, I would say, for me personally, they have those big names to them. And what it does to a parent is it puts a lot of anxiety on you that I've personally felt that says, because we've chosen that we weren't going to put our kids in, in um, travel sports just for our own choice. And so, um, yeah, when I, when I said that, I lost track of what I was, where I was going with that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So just basically that we were just going to commit to one particular thing um, to help keep our lives together and kind of, it gets out of control. And um, you listen to people and they say, you got to put your kid in this and you got to put them in that. And then you got to sign them up for the, the, the agility, the training thing after that. And, and by the time they were done talking to me, I was stressed out feeling like I must not be a good parent because I don't want to do that. And you're doing that, so wow, I must be lazy, or I must be, I'm, these are my thoughts, I've thought all this. I must be selfish because I don't want to do that. And call me what you want, but that sounds exhausting. And how does your kid keep, oh no, they do their homework in the car, we do the, and I was only at the beach twice this whole summer because we were in Maryland, we were in Pennsylvania, and I'm like, I, don't tell me that all you people can afford that. So it's also doing something financially choking people because I can't imagine people can even financially keep up with the pressure it puts on. So you're just seeing this spiral effect that um, creates this pressure for parents because everyone is doing it. So if I'm not, what does that say about me? And so that's why we're bringing this out to you because it kind of helps us to talk with each other and dispel some lies. And I, I think that, you know, just chiming right in with that. It's, it's the sports, the extracurricular, it's the education. I mean, we're living in a culture where your kid can't struggle in anything, and if they are, you have to get help for it right away. You, so now it's the tutoring, and you know, we, we have these superhuman kids that have to be great in all these categories, awesome. and it's this pressure that, as Jed's saying, if you're not doing it,
then maybe you're a bad parent. Maybe you're lazy because how, I mean, think about it. If my kid's not getting tutoring from after they're struggling, then I'm, you know, I'm deficient, I'm lacking, but they're also supposed to be involved in sports because those are good things, or they're supposed to be involved in music, and it's all this pressure, and I, and, you know, we have some uh, facts up about sports stuff. It's not just sports, it's, it's across yeah. the board. I mean, I, t you know, in teaching in high school, you see all these kids involved in so many things, and things that they love, things that they don't love, that their parents are forcing on them, because this is supposed to be, that's fine, that this is supposed to be the right thing, and, I know for Leslie and myself, we've had the conversation of, of what John said before. What are we really investing in? You know, our time is an investment. Our, our money, as John's saying, the cost of these things, those are major investments. And if we're investing in something, obviously you want some return. In some point of this, you say, well, what am I or my kids going to get out of this? And I started to even look at that, and it, it's, it's almost comical how the world tells us that you should have your kids doing all these things, and it's, you know, this is what good parenting is. And then you look at the numbers of people that do that and where that, that outcome is for the kid, and it's not existent. I mean, I, you know, I, I love, like everybody saying up here, I love sports. Um, I've coached travel. Um, I help coach uh, at the high school, um, help Little League soccer. I'm, you know, I'm fine with sports and 100%, and I was involved in them, think they're a great thing. Um, Love drama, arts, all that. I love it. Um, however, look at the numbers. You know, go, go on to an NCAA site and look at the numbers of how many kids that play in high school will play in college. I'll tell you them. They're 3.3%. 3.3. Want to say your kid's going to be the next, wow. you know, pro athlete? 1.2%. 500,000 kids will play their freshman year in, in High school, 100,000 by the time they're seniors. And most of them, they're not quitting because they're not good enough. They're quitting because they hate it. At this, and, and now our coaches come in and we said at a young age, you gotta push, you gotta push, you gotta push. And all these things are available. Well, guess what? I, I speak with high school kids on a regular basis. They hate it. They're burned out. And it's not because of their decisions, because our, our decisions as parents, of us constantly saying, this is what needs to be done. This is what's good. Well, the numbers, the statistics, everything says that's not what's good. And what are you pulling them out of? This. The community, the relationship. Yeah, that's really good. Um, I just want to piggyback on some of that because one of the things we talked about, too, is, you know, you hear a lot, you, as you hear you guys talk about it, you know, there's a lot of shoulds in the conversation, you know? When Jen, when you were talking, too, you know what? I should be doing this. Or I should, and, and we hear ourselves as parents do that all the time. And, um, you know, to answer a couple of things, number one, you just were talking about it reminded me of what... Um, Dr. Cloud said about the uh, passion. They, you know, if they're not passionate about something, we're forcing them to do things. You know, it, it leads me to another question. You know, I'm kind of big on questions. That's my attorney background. I'm sorry, but you know, but part of what I what, what I come back to is, you know, as a parent, think about this. We we push our kids, right? I mean, we do. We, we we much more than when we were growing up. You know, 20 years ago, 30 years ago. So we push our kids. Ask yourself, why do we push our kids? And I will venture to say, and I'm, not, I'm guilty of it too, I will venture to say that most of us in a room would raise a hand and say, I'm fearful because I'm afraid because maybe my kids won't have the same advantage as somebody else. You know, I want my kids to go to a really good college, so if they don't have this on their application, they can't go, you know. These, and when you boil all those, you fill in the gap, but when you boil that all down, it's fear. We're afraid 
Because we love our kids so much, right? I mean, everybody in this room would say, oh, yeah, I love my kids. But we're afraid. And the last thing I just want to leave with, going back to the rocks, is you were asking, what, what are the big rocks? And what, I'll tell you what the big rock is not for a lot of us and what the culture is. It's not spiritual growth. And, and it's not something that we think highly of. We want it, but we want it as kind of an afterthought and a byproduct. We don't want to put the cost in or the sacrifice that comes with that. And so I'll just leave that as something to think about. So I think that um, what we're dealing with are not just sports, you know, and to make sure that we don't just, you know, think about that. I know I see many of my own parents, and um, they're, they're running from ballet to karate to sports to dance to mom at her own Pilates, and dad's exhausted after work, and, and then, you know, the list goes on and on, piano lessons and et cetera, et cetera. So it is sports, and um, it's leading really to the destruction of the American family. I mean, that's the big global issue. So we're looking at the rocks that we place in the jar of our own home lives. But then, you know, as politically savvy people and as citizens on Earth in this world where we have a cosmos that has many different, you know, levels. There, you know, we're emotional people, we're physical, we're mental, uh, we're also spiritual. So we seem to put that spiritual rock in last, perhaps, or maybe that's the sand, but... We, you know, for everybody in each different home, I think it's in a different order. But the, the real issue that we can all say is that we're sitting here today asking God to open our eyes as to our spiritual awareness in our own homes and with our own children and in our own lives. And if you look, sometimes I, I actually s sit on the board of a, a mental health counseling agency that's very large on Long Island as well. And I can tell you that... Um, there are 15 million youth diagnosed um, as being able to be diagnosed. So they're, they're undiagnosed, but they are able to be diagnosed, 15 million youth in today's society um, that can be diagnosed with mental illness. And that runs from fear and anxiety all the way to suicide and schizophrenia and you know anything you can imagine. Yeah. So 15 million youth could be diagnosed and take a guess at the percentage of those youth that are being serviced with mental health secular counseling. Mm -hmm. And there is a need and there is um, a purpose for secular counseling yeah. and I know that Pastor yeah. Linda agrees with that. 7% yeah. of those youth today are being serviced and that's a, yeah. that's a current yeah. statistic. Yeah. Yeah. So I know that even on Long Island there was a big push in the town of Brookhaven several years ago to enter into the local schools to get children examined by the time they were in the third grade to see if there were any symptoms of a, you know, upcoming mental disorder, fear, anxiety, something they could treat. The ultimate goal was to avoid things like Columbine. So we talk about sports and rocks, but it takes us to a bigger problem. The breakdown in the American family, first the way we raise our children, second the American family marriages, and now the global issue of what's going on. So this is a big, big problem, and I think that we all, you know, should take our heads out of the sand um, and, and say, you know, that we have somewhat of a moral and ethical responsibility to do what we can for a neighbor's child, for a godchild, for a nephew, for a niece. We're all leading somebody, even if, you know, we don't think we are. So whether you're in the public arena as a teacher or you're a mom or you're not a mom, you're, you're really, somebody's watching us, and 
making decisions based on That's right. what we say and do. Yeah. I want to hop on there too, Elaine, because uh, Meg and I were having this discussion and uh, uh, Meg, I was floored because this is another article that will be on the website this week. You'll get the article about sports. You'll get this article as well. Uh, well, actually, what happened, Meg, I should, I'm giving you a story, but Meg was in class teaching today. She's also a teacher. She's a high school English teacher in Mount Sinai. And uh, uh, why don't you come up real quick and just... Just really quickly. Uh, yes, I teach uh, high school English, and I was teaching a, um, a speech class. And uh, a student was giving a speech about themselves, and they were talking about how they couldn't come to school the previous year because they had such terrible anxiety and panic attacks that they were incapacitated for three months. And now this year, they were finally coming back to school, and they were doing it. They made it through their first week, and it was really just attributed to the stress and anxiety that she felt. And so she posed a question to the class and said, uh, how many of you have ever struggled with panic attacks? And I'm stressing out as the teacher thinking, oh, I hope this poor girl doesn't feel silly that she's the only one raising her hand, or three quarters of the class, perhaps even more than that, raised their hands and said, I have struggled with a panic attack, anxiety, and they looked at me and I, I had to discuss this with them. I had to open the floor because I said, I cannot believe that you, this many people are struggling with this at your age. Uh, most 11th and 12th grade students. And one student said that a psychologist noted that the level of stress in students today is equal, this is according to a study, is equal to that of a mental patient from the 1950s. So our students today are just as stressed out as what would be considered a mental patient from the 1950s, and it was very sobering. Wow, that is just mind-blowing. Can I just repeat something that we started by saying? We're in a war. We're in a war. And the war's over if we don't recognize we're under attack. And uh, how, many, how many have a little thing going on inside of you this morning that says, it makes me feel a little better to realize this is bigger than just me? <laughs> it isn't just you and thinking that you can't cope with your anxiety. I don't know about you, but I mean, I'm 69. We've been serving God for 40 years. I mean, we've had, you know, been through the, but the stress levels just keep climbing. And no matter what we seem to do, Joe and I say it all the time, it, it is, there's just every person I know, every person I sit with, uh, no matter how old they are, no matter what their station of life is, they can be retired, they can be um, young. It's a, we just heard this. Uh, everyone feels like they just can't take anymore. Um, and that stress is in our homes, that stress is in our bodies, that stress is in our, you know, communicating with one another in our marriages. That, that's got to affect marriages, right? So we, we cannot forget that we are absolutely in a war. Um, unless somebody has something, I'm going to go to the uh, John's video, unless somebody has something they really want to add to that. Yeah, we're okay. Uh, I just want to add that Bob Fryer was really instrumental in being part of this team as well. Bob, stand up a minute. We just couldn't put too many people on the on the panel, but Bob's will be on another panel for us, and he certainly, he and Sabrina certainly have a lot of experience with young people, that's for sure. Okay, this is a, another video, and this one is by John Townsend, and if you remember, it was Dr. Cloud, Dr. Townsend. And now, um, the question posed to, to Dr. Townsend was, you know, how, what do I do to, um, you know, enhance my, my, my child's relationship with the Lord. So let's hear what John has to say. Heritage is 
are conveyed and passed down and communicated in more than one way. And as a person who has spiritual values and um, you have a biblical orientation and you've learned certain things about values and ethics and where you stand with God and how to have a relationship with God, you want to make sure the next generation has that, which I, I can't agree with you more. It's so important. But the, the different ways are what you want to pay attention to because most parents are pretty good at one or two of these and they might find that they need some work or information on another one. First, there's just a direct teaching. This is where you actually teach kids what you believe and why you believe it so they understand the Bible and where things come from. So be able to kind of like explain what you believe about your faith and about your ethics and about your values and give, give them a biblical worldview. That's the teaching part. Then there's the example part. And the example part, make sure, you know, as the old pastors used to say, that you're, uh, you're walking your talk. So they, they, they don't have to see a perfect parent, but the Bible talks about righteous people like Job and Noah, not as sinless people, but as people who pretty much stayed in the light of God and tried and maintained a relationship of integrity and love and all these sorts of things. So be that. You know, be a person who really lives this out so they don't only, they don't only see it from what you say and when you take them to church but in your marriage and in your relationships and how you handle money and how you handle parenting. But here's the third way. Um, not only in the teaching and in the example part, make sure they experience it. In other words, make sure your kids are around someone that they feel love from, that they're around someone that they feel grace from, that they're around someone that has no shame or guilt when they parent them, but they're around someone who actually does have rules and consequences at the same time. You know, I think of all the three... This one's probably the most important and the most powerful because when kids experience someone, it, it forms emotional memories that kind of, they, they become the, 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 actually the spiritual biochemistry of their heads so that's how they relate to other people. So cover all three bases and make sure that you're consistent in all three and the chances are very good. Like that proverb says, when my child gets old, um, he will not depart from the way. We would hope that for everybody watching this video. Mm, yeah, amen. Um, so John points out three things. Education, um, uh, example, and experience. And I'm going to open the panel to, to jump in there for a minute. But I'm going to take my moderator hat off for a minute and put on my pastor hat for a minute. Some of you people are very foolish if you do not to it, that your, your children and your young adults are sitting in an environment where God can get at them. They need, uh, I'll tell you, you know, we, we have the same battles every family has, but one thing God led us to stand as, as Joe and I raised our kids was Sunday morning, there's no questions asked. In this house, God will be honored. You will come to church and you will sit there, regardless of, you know, whatever they were going through, maybe at their moments. It's a normal place for children to become teenagers and start to question. The one thing you never want to do is shame the kid because they're questioning. Listen, we want them to question because there's one thing you don't want is somebody who just regurgitates what you tell them and just give you, just sprout back at you. Never cut off a conversation, but you are foolish if you do not see to it that they see that a big rock in your life 
and a big rock is getting them in the community. If you think isolated by themselves, they're going to have some revelation of Jesus Christ. Joe and I are here to tell you, you're foolish. You're foolish. Did you ever look at a garden? And, and uh, uh, Did you ever look at a patch of, of dirt and say, I'm not going to influence that dirt. I'm going to just let it just grow by itself, and hopefully it'll come to a conclusion. If you don't influence that soil and put the right seed in and take the bad stuff out, you're going to have no garden. You're going to have a weed patch. Just very, very quickly, this is what Jack Hayford had to say. No child naturally knows how to live in a manner that brings blessing to themselves and others. That's why they have parents. But many parents today fail to recognize the need to teach this manner in a loving and systematic way to their kids. They falsely assume their kids will just pick it up as they go along. It's true that kids will pick things up as they go along, but unless a parent orders what those things are, kids will generally pick up things that will require their adult lifetime to overcome. I'm a pastor, and I can tell you this is true. You can pay in the, you can pay in the beginning with your children and give your time and attention and, and prayer and uh, intercession and community, give them to those children, or you're going to pay on the back end. You're going to pay in the divorce court and the drug, the drug rehabs. You're going to pay somewhere. Brothers and sisters, I'm sorry. I can't make this strong enough. And, and uh, listen, I hope I don't offend anybody, but I'm not really interested in whether I'm offending people tonight. I'm interested in saving the lives of young people in here. And I am really basically, thank you. Basically, I'm tired of seeing kids go down the drain because their parents wouldn't hear this. Parents that think they know more wouldn't take advice to the church or the, or the leaders. Say, please, why are your kids not in Ignite? I don't understand. Well, you know, there's a series of reasons. There may be dynamics. I don't know. But when I come in and I don't see, you know, 20 uh, kids or I say, what is going on? I don't, I don't, I'm sorry. I don't get it. I don't get what your reasons are. Do you think that out there, just in the high school, they're going to get this? They're not. They're not, guys. You think on a college campus, just by themselves, it's going to come to them? It's not, parents. You and I, as parents, you will, listen, it is not the church's first responsibility to raise your kids up as Christians. It is your responsibility. We are their support. We are the community that gets around them. Listen, we still need dedicated Sunday school teachers. Why am I not, why am I not inundated with people that want to go in there? Do you know the most influential yeah. period of time in this in this community, it's right behind that door on Sunday morning and Thursday night. That's the most influential time because most people and data will tell you by the time they're adults, very few people will come to the Lord or really give their lives and seriously take Jesus Christ. The older you get, you get over, I don't know, somebody tell me the stats, you get over 20 or something and 12 years old. 18? Oh, yeah, that's that. Uh, that's right. Uh, Jamal had some stats for us. Okay, 12 years old. So I'm asking you, parents, I'm asking you, your time is so limited to affect them and influence them. Your time is so short. And I want to tell you something. If you're not serving God, and they don't see you serving God, and they don't see you serving people, excuse me if I'm very passionate, and I don't mean to point, it's awful, but I am passionate and I'm worried. 
And I'm burdened, and so are all of us that, that, are, that are here on this panel. We've been talking, and not because we're doing it all right, but we have a healthy fear of what's happening in America. Do you? Do you? Yes. Tomorrow, I've been asked to attend a court in Central Islip, youth court, with Judge Camacho, and invited by Legislator Browning to inter intervene and interact with the youth entering back in and those leaving the privilege of staying in an open environment. What you just said, Pastor, I will go and see the end result of it tomorrow because I'm not blaming everything on parents, whatever, but you will see. I know what I'll see tomorrow. And this is a judge that's trying to save children. Pray for him. He's got a program. And that's what I'm going for. But when I tell you I speak from here, and there's speaking, this is not just words up here. I see it. I've seen it in the past years. I'm not looking forward, actually, to going to this tomorrow because I know what I'm going to see and I know what I'm going to hear. The faces change, but the stories are the same. Take to heart what you are hearing today. I can only tell you that as a witness of watching it in my career for 39 years. Take to heart, early intervention saves young people. We don't want you to leave with just the problems. We were going to touch a minute, just a few things. I, wanted to, I didn't get a chance to finish. Jack Hayford said they moved into a new parsonage at a church he was serving, and he realized that there was a very strange, there was a bathroom that was brand new as opposed to the rest of the house. And so the, the lady who was showing them around the house just said, well, yeah, well, he said, well, that's odd. And she said, well, to tell you the truth, the pastor that was here before, his son came back from Vietnam, and he had terrible, uh, he was in terrible mental and emotional state, and he lived on marijuana. And um, he said, and, and one day he got so um, out of control that they had to send the fire department to break down the door to get him out, and so therefore the, the, ba the uh, bathroom was redone. And, and he said suddenly about six weeks later, he felt inspired, he woke up one morning, Jack, if you know Jack, uh, an amazing man of God for many years, shepherded the people of God and many pastors. And Jack said, the Lord woke him up and said, they had been having one sickness after another in their, in their home. And he said, I woke up and the Lord said, there's a spirit of affliction in your house. Take, the Lord, take my table. And it began, he said, a family um, time where they regularly took the Lord's table together as a family. They took, you don't have to be the ministry or ordained to take the Lord's table. You have to be a Christian. We do it, uh, uh, we do it, uh, may, I, may I say this, Jen? Uh, when Jen uh, had her uh, medical uh, diagnosis three years ago, we took the Lord's table every single morning together and said, Lord, here we come, we're yours, we're in the covenant with you. We need you today. I, I, I'll tell you, make that Parents, will you listen? Make that a common uh, activity that you do together as a family. 
Um, so I, I'm just going to open. We could we could go on and on for the, for this, but let's jump in and say what are some of the things we want to we want to kind of help and, and what do we want to move to? I think um, just reiterating the video, what Pastor Linda is saying, what Pastor Joe is saying. I I mean, not coming from even being a teacher or even being a parent, coming from somebody that was raised inside this church, um, and the importance of parenting. Um, my parents, I, I often, often saw them reading the Bible. I often sat down in prayer meetings just randomly during the week. We're having a prayer meeting. Uh, all right. Um, and I, I could say that there were times as an adolescent where I thought they were, I, I didn't think they were good parents. I questioned things. Um, they missed some of my games. I was playing basketball, and they missed some of my games because they had a church meeting. And I didn't get it. And I would go, I went to tryouts. I got elbowed in the head. And my dad picked me up and said, we're going to see Joe Mano at the church. And I'm like, I'm sweaty. I have a big lump on my head. It's the last thing I want to do. And I look back at it now, and I was never going to be a D1 basketball player. I was never going to be a pro athlete. But I'm here in this church now. I'm raising my kids in this church. And they made the right stand. Yeah. Uh, Jen's going to add. I want you to add that. I just wanted to throw something in here. When I was a young mother with young kids and starting to have responsibility in a church, I went to the Lord one day and I said, Lord, if I go to church and leave my kids with a babysitter, I'm guilty. If I stay home with my kids, I feel guilty because I'm not at the church meeting. What in heaven's name do I do? And some very smart man said this to me. God's not interested in whether you do this or you do that this week. He's interested in the general flow of your life. Will you please take that? We're not talking about whether your kid goes on this travel team or you pray. You find out from God what may be good for one kid. We're not saying a blanket. If you do this, you're wrong and you're not a good Christian. Nobody, nobody can answer for you. You've got to answer for God. There's no rules, saints. There's no, but I do throw out to you today, what is the fruit of your life and what is the fruit of your children's lives? Are they in a community? Do they, re, are they, do they understand the worldview of the Bible or are they buying the worldview that the world is giving them, that what the values are? Y your child's life is at stake. Thank you, Jamal. Oh, uh, I'm just going to answer real quick. I, oh, go ahead. Okay. Quickly, I was just saying, you know, we might, we might have old time to solve the world's problems, but um, just basically the hitting the point of community and that just being here and being able to have other parents to express how I'm trying to do this, how I feel. Do you feel that too? I mean, we haven't even tapped the whole situation of technology and as a parent, what it's like to try to manage that phone and the internet and video games and the computer. That is a whole other and pornography. Huge, yeah. huge burden that I feel as a parent that I don't have figured out and is very hard. And so just to be in the community that we can further be a support system to each other to be able to talk and well, what do you do, what do I do? Because feeling that you're alone because we are going against the norm is, is very hard. So when you feel you have other people that you're doing it with together, even if you don't have all the answers, but you're feeling support and you're kind of, you know, venting, it's, that's what I feel out of it, the community. We can't, we can't, us parents cannot do this alone. And if you think you can, we, the verdict is not in yet on the result of these children. They are still being raised. And I do feel to straighten myself out, my kids won't suffer from it. So I have to die to my own pressures I'm putting on them, my own dreams and desires for those kids. That's right. 
you know, my own, even my yep. own temperament that's like, come on, let's go, let's go, because we always have somewhere to go, that this is contributing to anxiety that these kids that's have, right. that I'm helping, too. That's right. So I think a great support group for parents is yeah. what's needed. Yeah. Jen, you asked me that weeks ago before we even talked about this, about a support group for parents, and uh, I thought it's a marvelous idea. And if you think it's a good idea, it doesn't matter what age your kids are, would you let us know? Would you contact the office and say, you know what, I heard some talk about a, a parent support group. I would love to be a part of that. So let us know. Uh, I'm going to go to John. Real quick. Okay. Uh, you know, I'm thinking as we're talking here, and, and one of the things that keeps coming back to me is, you know, kids are funny, right? Like, kids smell out. They, they just, yes. they speak truth. They don't, they have no filter, right? They just kind of say what they think. And um, it makes me think, you know, we have to remember, so you, we're not fooling anybody, and I'm speaking to myself. We're, we can't fake Christianity. Yep. You, you can't fake it. And, and so we're talking here about, well, now we're getting to the point where you're sitting here as a parent. You're like, great, I got all these problems. You know, what do I do? And we're starting to move into that as in the conversation. And, and part of that is a little bit what you said, you know, what you saw your parents. Like, you know, as parents, like, if you are concerned about your own spirituality and you're putting God first in your life, guess what? You, you've just conquered 80% of, I would say, what you're hoping for in your child. Because by doing that, you're, you're making that part of what he said, the example. You're exemplifying now. You're exampling. Um, you know, it's no secret, you know, the world even will tell you, you, you've all probably heard these statistics about, you know, kids going on drugs and all these problems that they have and they can't do well in school, right? And what is the, the world will tell you, one of the answers is, real simple, it's real silly, but it's having dinner with them, right? Families having dinner around the table actually decreases your kids' chances of getting into drugs, getting into problems. Get, it's, it's amazing. And it's not like by 5%. It's by like big numbers. And is it the dinner? It's, it's not dinner. So we got to look past some of these things, right? It's not the dinner. It's the fact that what happened, think about your dinners growing up. You know, maybe they weren't always the best, but you had some, I'm sure, where everybody was together. And the point at dinner was, there was time set aside to just talk. Yeah. It was family time. It's like this. This is family time. I mean, this is our version of family time, right? And, and so when you were at the dinner table, you know, it usually started with something like, you know, hey, how was your day today? Ah, it was pretty good. What do you mean it was pretty good? What would you do today? You didn't do anything? You know, you guys know. And, and you, know, well, you know, it was all right. And then you find out, well, you know, you know Johnny pushed me in the playground. Oh, really? You know, and, and well, how, how, let's talk about how you deal with those problems. And when you're not having those conversations, it doesn't have to be dinner. I know everybody's busy. I'm, we're all busy. I'm busy, too. I'm guilty of it. But we've got to find time to put that in, in, in our kids. We, we're depositing something in our kids. That's what dinner's about. It's not about dinner. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a stake in the ground that says this is family time. Yeah, yeah. Amen. Uh, okay, last word, Jamal. And then I want to pass it to you. Oh, last word. Uh, I just, some of you asked questions, and uh, James is going to come up in a minute, and he's going to kind of uh, tie this up for us a little bit. Um, some of the things he's going to refer to, um, some of the questions you asked, like, what do I do with a young person who doesn't believe the Bible is true? Maybe they don't know these stories are accurate, and James is going to talk to that issue as he gets up. Um, how can we, someone said, how can we be a, uh, a guiding influence to people who don't know, who don't have Christian families and don't go to church, and and Elaine, you, I think you spoke to that before you said earlier, we're influencing, always influencing people. Um, Scott, you always tell me the story about your aunt and uncle who uh, took you to church as a young boy and was so influential in 
in imparting their faith to you. Um, listen, there's somebody in your life. There's a child somewhere. There's a kid who needs your influence. And even if you can't get them here to a community yet, it's what John Townsend said. Let them see Jesus. Let them see love. Let them see uh, truth without shame. Let them see. Uh, let them see somebody. Let them see mercy. Let them see Jesus in you. That that's that's the biggest thing we can do for anybody. If you if they're not your child, pray and intercede for that person, and God will. Sure, sure. Just real quick on that statement. Um, you guys know as you get teenagers. My son back there, he's turned 13 today, so you guys can all look at oh, embarrassing. Oh, Davin, happy birthday. Teenager. Yeah, great. Teenager. Um, they start to listen to you a lot less, um, and it's funny because somebody that I'm very close with uh, in here, um, a family, they were saying, you know, could you just help out with our team? Could you talk to them? Because, um, you know, they, they can hear you sometimes more than they can hear us. And just on that note, I, I you know, I need, I need everybody in this, in this room. I, you know, I have three boys in here and now a teenager. I need, I need all your voices. I need him to see other people besides myself. And I just go into that point, it's, it's, it's so essential that there is a community around the, the youth in this building, the youth outside this building, to raise them up. It's not any single person's task and never was supposed to be. That's what the church is. And, you know, that's what we're calling everybody to, including myself, because I made tons of mistakes. So... It takes a church. Amen. Elaine, will you give us your closing thoughts as we bring this to a close? Sure, I'd be happy to. Um, I was just thinking as everybody was talking about community and, and how very essential that is to all of our lives and to be open. And um, many of you know Garrison Keillor is just a humorist, and he, he speaks a lot of truth in, in what he says. And he says that adults don't dare in 2014. Adults don't dare. And what he means is that adults don't dare to speak into other adults' lives about their children. That's what he was talking about. Because we're all very defensive and we're closed and we don't think about a phone call at home you would get this afternoon to say, hey, can we talk about your son? Saw some things that maybe, you know, you'd like to know about. I mean, as a mom, right, your hair goes up on the back. Don't talk about my kid. But I think that's what we're saying is let's be intentionally aware that we want to raise our kids in uh, a specified community, a, a community of Christians that we trust, because each of our children is being raised in a community. If it's not this one, it's the baseball team, and if it's not baseball, it's you know, uh, it's it's the teachers or the peers in school. They're there five days a week, eight hours a day in school. They spend more waking hours between September and June with other people than they do with you. And there's no such thing as a perfect school, but there really is something called the university of family. And that's where teachers, uh, in the name of parents, have an opportunity until your kids are 18 or 21, or if you're like me and lucky, they come back home. <laughs> and you get a little longer. And, and you don't discipline anymore, but you disciple. So your job is never done. Someone's always watching you. They're in community. I, I think we want to leave here today to be intentional parents, to focus more on parenting internally than we do externally. And, you know, we have a, a name for parents like all of us. They call us helicopter parents, and we're hovering. But we're hovering over the external, and I think what we're hearing from Pastor Linda is saying uh, today, hover over the internal because your kids are in a community. And, and the last statistic is that one-third of all Americans today under the age of 30 in the latest um, Pew Forum on, on religion, check the box, none. 
uh, no religious affiliation, one-third of all Americans under the age of 30. So those are parents, and that is versus 9% of, of people um, over 65. So what's happening is a generational replacement. Those people, those none people, are the new generation that that's are going right. to be leading the, the world, people. influencing our children, and that's the community that our kids live in. So That's right. That's right. And as James starts to come up, I just want to underline what you, what you were saying, Elaine. Um, you know, our job as parents is, is, is really clear. You give children outside authority so that it becomes internal authority for them as they grow up. In other words, you give them the rules, you show them what you tell them what life is like, you help them to see clearly on the outside because they don't, ha it doesn't come, it doesn't come naturally to them. That's why God gave them parents. So you tell them on the outside. The, for the Ten Commandments were protective boundaries to the children of Israel to say, don't go there. It's going to bring you a whole lot of headache. And it's going to bring death into your life. But what you're doing is getting your children not to keep telling them as they grow older, you let you step back and you step back so that they are no longer going to you to be God but that, that you have taught them to go to God themselves so that they, when they're grown, now they have an internal authority. And when they go to do something that we know is, is wrong, is sin, it's not just mom and dad when you're not there in the college dorm anymore. It's an inside voice that says, no, I made that decision. I'm not going to go there. Parents, you're only on the outside to get that voice on the inside. The scary thing about it, psychologists would tell you, whatever we hear on the outside in our formative years will be your self-talk when you become an adult. How many older folk in here will say that no matter how old you are, you're still hearing a voice from your childhood sometimes that is still deeply there. It came as a child, it came in those early years because God made it that way. If sin hadn't entered in the world, it was supposed to be that way. Parents were supposed to bring good things on the outside and those good things would be transferred on the inside. But now because of the fall, it's, it's not. We don't have perfect parents, but we have an amazing, my spiritual mom used to say, no, there are no perfect parents but there are parents trusting a perfect savior. And that's our hope today, this morning. James, will you close up this time, please? Thank yeah, you. Yeah, very briefly. I have, never, I have to say, I'd be remiss if I didn't say this. I've never been prouder than I am right now to be a member of this church with what, what I just saw. And we took a big risk, and we met a couple of times. And I know this was God. I don't question it. I sat there in the front row and involved in what was going on here behind the scenes amazed, blown away. I thank all of you for your transparency, your humility, and just the truth that we heard. Well, there are a lot of resources out there. I don't have time to get into, you know, deep answers right now, but I would throw one out there like Elise Strobel, an author out there, a guy that was a, a staunch atheist and, you know, educated at Yale University. And he wrote A Case for Christ, A Case for Faith, A Case for the Creator, A Case for the Bible, so on and so on. He answers a lot of questions that kids have, that I had growing up. And I loved how you said that. You're supposed to have questions. Parents, don't shut your kids down. Welcome those questions. They have to find truth for themselves. And I thank God I grew up in a, a family that my parents afforded us the opportunity to do so. 
But I, listen, as a pastor too, I'm younger, but please, can I say this and be bold too? I don't understand why some of you, echoing what your sentiments, why aren't you forcing your kids to come here and ignite? Why not? You have to, and then you wonder, and then we're going to get the phone calls. Listen, my generation, don't call me and act all surprised when your kids aren't here. I'm going to tell you the truth. What happened when your kid was 12 and 13 years old? Now is the time. And I want to pray in closing. Pillars in the community. It is a burden of willing to listen. We need to make changes. We're willing to do it. But you cannot afford to leave your children out of anything that's going on. No matter what, no matter how failing it may be, our Sunday meetings, whatever, your children need to be in an environment. Amen. Before James prays, yep. I, I just want to leave us with this because we said this in some of our conversations. You know, in, uh, on your topic too, you know, don't leave here condemned because if you're a parent, what you need to do today, honestly, you put a flag in the ground, you put a stake in the ground today, and everything that's happened before, it's already happened and you can't change it. But what you can do, I, I, you know, I, we know our God is somebody who is a loving and forgiving God when our hearts are truly repentant. And so I know as a parent, I've had many times where I've, I've even asked my kids sometimes to forgive me. You know, I, I told us a quick story about, you know, I was texting in the car driving sometimes. And I'm thinking to myself, you know, when my kids are teenagers driving and, I'm get, and they're walking out the door and I go, hey, you know, Michaela, make sure you don't text tonight when you're driving, okay? And she's going to go, okay, Dad. And I know she's not going to do it. She's going to do it because she knows I did it. So I had to ask for them to forgive me and be accountable to them. But these are examples of where we have to say, you know what, put a stake in the ground as a parent today. Maybe we're going to pray or whatever, but repent of what's happened and now decide with God's help that you're going to do it differently. And, and you're going to do it in a community, not by yourself. That's all I would add, you know, as you're going to pray, I would, that's my prayer, that today this be a life-changing event for us as parents and that we, we use what we heard today to sound the alarm and, and just put a stake in the ground and say, going forward, I'm going to be a different parent than I was yesterday. We're not looking to have people pleasers or robots or people pat us on the back. But if you've heard God today and you want to respond to him and you'd like to be a part of a prayer, not just for you personally as a parent, but maybe the community. I mean, God's talking to us. He convicted all of us as we were getting prepared for this. Uh, seriously, take prayer more seriously for your children. Take the Lord's table more seriously in your home. I mean, I, I don't know how any of us could listen and not feel, you know, like we all have a ways to go. But if you're somebody that has felt that the Lord spoke to you this morning, will you stand, please? Because we're going to pray together this morning.
this, Pastor. Lord, as one of the leaders in this house, Lord, I come and repent for all of us as parents. Lord, how we've gone wayward and, and how we really haven't followed your word and looked at your principles and uh, kept them as a foundation in our lives. Father, I thank you, as my brother just said, there's still hope. I thank you that no one is going to leave here condemned and they can't say, oh, I, I didn't do this right or I didn't do that right. Lord, we're looking to the newness of life as we leave this place. Lord, I thank you for new beginnings. I thank you that you, Lord, by the power of your spirit, you can open blind eyes. Help us to see that change happens in the context of community. That we as a people, as brothers and sisters, as we band together, that we can go out of these four walls and realize that change can actually happen in our lives. Father, I ask that as you charge every mother, every father in this place as they leave, that they would implement what they heard today, that they would be intentional, that they would wake up from their slumber. Oh, city on a hill, community, church, wake up. It is a new day. Help us to take this and realize that this is the final hour that the pressure that has been mounting, there is so much more at stake. It's so much bigger than what we heard about athletics and academics, that we are in the midst of a battle. And there is smoke over the battlefield, and there are bullets that are flying by. And when our heads wake up from those pillows every single morning, when we get out of bed, we are in the midst of a war. Help us to put on our spiritual armor. Help us to teach our kids how to put on their spiritual armor. Gird them, Father, with truth, with your word, Lord. Make these kids in this place set their hearts on fire for you. May we not lose one soul in this place. As we move into next week, help us to see the deepest, most important thing about all of us is our soul. Father, we don't want to live for self and the culture out there. Make us countercultural. Make us different, Father. May the world see it. May we be a people that really buy into this message today. May we not just be hearers, but doers of your word. Amen, Lord. We all say a, a big, loud amen from the youngest to the oldest. And, and I just before you leave uh, on that amazing note, prayer. Take a look at the website. We're going to have a lot of material on it this week. We're going to have the articles that you've heard about this morning. I'm going to start a Cloud Townsend video corner on that website where I'm going to start giving... I'm going to give you this video, this website, but it's got tons of videos. They've got a whole section of parenting. There's not a question you have that's not answered on that video. Just a two-minute video. Just you go there and you take a look at what your problem is and, and, and let's see if, if, you, if God doesn't help you there. So you're going to get a lot of resources on that website. Make sure you check up on that. Uh, my, and the office does an amazing job going through a lot of pain to give it to you. Amen. Would you like to thank the panel this morning? Amen. Have a great day. If one of them said something that really mattered to you, go tell them. Amen. Thanks for listening to City on a Hill's podcast. For more resources, visit us at chccny.com.